Um, If you have a Bible and you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and open it to Galatians chapter 5 as we look at verses 16 through 26. Um, like I said, we're, we're kind of working our way through chapter 5, and Lord willing, today we'll uh, conclude in chapter 5. And, and really, this week it is a continuation of what Paul is saying in chapter 5 as a whole. So it, it's kind of important for us to recap what the message was last week, especially if you weren't here last week, because last week what we did was we started in chapter 5, and we really saw the whole idea for Paul, as he was writing in chapter 5, is what he says in verse 1. This is really the big idea of where he's going in the whole chapter when he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And so then what we talked about last week was really that if you and I are set free from slavery and, what, and we are set free to Christ then we really should have a different motivation in our standing. And so this is why Paul is saying, listen, stand firm in that freedom that you've been given. And he also says this because he was concerned that although the Galatians had once been free in Christ, they were really returning to a type of slavery by trying to still uh, hold to their freedom in Christ, but also trying to maintain this weighty and empty and false type of religion that was Jesus plus something. And so this is where we have seen Paul step in and over and over and over again in this book, say, uh, where he is addressing and he says, yeah, that's not the gospel. This approach that you're having is not the gospel, and those types of walk are not of freedom. And so what Paul says is stand firm. And when he says this, he's wanting to see that the believer's confidence and their living would be motivated by gospel freedom, not caught up in in a bondage or slavery. And so this is why we also looked at our motivation of ourselves, and we asked, how are we using our freedom that we've been given in Christ? And so really, last week, we looked at two types of motivations in that. We looked at love and fear. And in this, I said that how you view other people, specifically those of the the body of believers, the community of faith, and how you treat other people will often, if not always, really reveal that you are either motivated by love or motivated by fear, And so how those two kind of work themselves out in the church, in the body of believers, is really either that they view the church for being for them, or that they're brought in to be servants who serve the church. And so there's really two different ways of seeing it. And the first would be that fear-based one where they come into the body of believers and they say, I need, people need to give to me. It's about me. It's about my time. It's my entitlement. And so this is kind of how it plays itself out. Kind of this focus of I deserve and it's all about me. And then the other would be the one who's set free from all of that and in love really says, how can I give? How can I encourage you? How can I push you more to God's true desire and intent for your Christian living? And how can I serve you? So then if you and I are free in Christ, then this really, this motivation by love is what we together are to do in Christ. 
And so Paul's desire in chapter 5 is really to point the believers to what the Christian life is to look like. And so this is why in verse 13 that we saw last week, Paul says, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So where Paul is going now in this text is he's continuing to build this type of framework for how we keep walking in our Christ-given freedom. And so he's going to press in more and really see that if we're motivated by faith working through love, then we're going to not only love one another, but we're also going to walk in the Spirit. And so this chapter in its entirety is really Paul saying, listen, this is where your freedom in the gospel meets your living in the gospel. That you're not just going to sit in your freedom, but you're going to be standing firm and you're going to be active in your gospel freedom. And so in verses 16 through 26 that we're going to read, he's going to show us a conflict and a contrast that's going on between life in the flesh that is fear and even self-motivated and life in the spirit that's love and and gospel-motivated. And so what we're going to see and really unpack from our text this morning is that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, But in gospel freedom, we seek the fruit of the Spirit where we are keeping in step with the Spirit. So we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some out in the commons or in the back corner. And uh, if you want a real nice one, you can even check out the lost and found. I think there's probably a couple good uh, leather ones. Um, But there's a Bible around here somewhere uh, for you. Um, uh, But if you don't have one this morning, it'll also be on the screen behind me. So we'll start in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And such things, and against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning. God, there is so much in these verses that Paul has written that you are speaking to us here today. And so, God, I pray that with all that we are just looking at as we look to apply and unpack your word, Father, I pray that you would just pierce through the exterior of our flesh and just invade our soul this morning. God, there is such a a weight in this text 
of the true battle that's going on between the desires of the flesh and the, and the desires of your Holy Spirit. So Father, this morning, I, I pray that you would just kind of wake us up to that, expose us to the reality of the state we're in and point us to Christ. So Father, this morning, as we look at these verses, God, I pray that we would not just study them and get into the big words around them, but Father, we would go out and live them that we would crucify the flesh and keep on in our freedom in Christ and keep on and keeping in step with the Spirit. So God, it's in your wonderful and holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in this section, in the first verse, 16 of this, uh, where Paul tells us, we walk by the Spirit and if we do this, then we will not satisfy or, or please the desires of our flesh. And so when Paul uses the word walk, he's really referring to our way of living. That as we go through this life, we should be led by and really directed in the Spirit. And so when Paul talks about our walk being by the Spirit, he's not talking about our own spirit because we can really see how dangerous that could get if we're kind of letting our spirit guide us. But what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. And so if you are believers in Christ and you have submitted your life to him and you are following Jesus, then really what Paul is saying is you're not desiring the flesh, which is against the Spirit, but you're desiring to continue to walk by the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit. And so this is where the Holy Spirit begins to move us forward into more and more and more Christ-likeness. But what we know to be true is that along the path of our walk in this life can still be distractions and other things that really try to guide us away from our walk. And so what Paul is telling us is that really there is a war that's raging on right now inside of you and I between the spirit and between the flesh. And really, they're opposed to one another. They're not desiring the same things because the goal of the spirit is not the goal of the flesh. And where the spirit is taking us and would take us is not where the flesh desires to take us. Now remember, the reason Paul is addressing this and bringing this up is because where the Galatians had been set free and experienced a freedom in Christ, they're now under a type of weighty bondage that was completely counter to the truth of the gospel. And this is where the legalists had really tried to lead the church to earning their right standing and their righteousness before God. And so what this did was really cause them to seek to gratify their flesh and not keep in step with the Spirit. So the legalists had come in and said, listen, you're not yet free. Yes, Christ gives you freedom, but now you must walk in these things. And so there's still more you need to do and more you need to accomplish in order to be saved. But this also becomes really appealing if we're honest. Sometimes legalism can sound uh, like a bad thing, but it can feel like a good thing as much as it is misleading because what legalism tries to do is really convince you that although you're not free, if you do these things or you don't do these things, then you will finally be free. 
So if you walk in them, there is a false hope that one day you will experience that freedom. But what this actually does, what we have seen over and over again that Paul's arguing in the book of Galatians is that it really just pushes us further down the path of gratifying the flesh because it's ultimately a desire of fulfilling what we want and what we desire. And truth be told, it's empty. It's like this mirage in the desert. You get there and there's nothing there but sand. You thought what you were seeing was truly what we were trying to pursue and and all along there was nothing there. So if we walk by the Spirit, we won't do that, Paul is saying. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not walk towards the mirage but rather toward freedom. And so in verse 18, Paul also says that if you're led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Now, the law, we've talked a lot about, but really here, the law is an external and and exposes internal realities. The law is external and exposes internal realities. And so whereas this is different from the work of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is a work of illumination because it shows us what is really going on inside of us. So the work of the Holy Spirit is not only about pointing to external actions, but pointing out a place in our heart where we refuse to trust God, where we're refusing to believe in God, and where we're walking not in the freedom that God has provided for us in Christ, but instead we're trying to live out our own way. And so the work of the Holy Spirit really engages the heart, not just the external actions, but also gets at the heart of the issue. Now, the external actions, if we're we're looking at that, are a kind of diagnostic, but they're not always the real issue. So what's pointing out, what the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you is the heart of the issue. So there's a huge difference between external type of behavioral modification, do this, don't do that, and a heart that is transformed by the gospel. Paul's really getting at it saying, these are at odds, these are against one another. So where the legalists would misuse the law and it's about external realities, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, is about internal realities. And so the law says, act this way, Don't act this way. Go these places. Don't go these places. But the heart, when it's transformed by the Spirit, says, I want what God wants. I want to follow where God wants me to go. I don't want to do the things that are against God. And so it really goes back to this motivation of love and fear. So what Paul is saying is when you're being led by the Spirit, Really, a life in the flesh is impossible. You cannot be living in both of these. And so in verse 19, Paul gives us this robust understanding of what the works of the flesh are, what it looks like if we are living in the flesh and the things that we would wrestle with. He lists many things, and he even says uh, many other things can follow, but he lists sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. 
And so he covers all of these things. And if we look at these 15 works of the flesh, we can really kind of flush out about five categories if we look at this. And the first category that we see from this is sexuality. And let me tell you, if we look at our world, what we know is our world is upside down and backwards in this area. What we know of the Bible, though, is that sex is God's idea. If you go back and you read Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, you see the heart of God for man and his desire for that design. And so we see how intentionally God designed us as men and women. And so first, what we need to understand, Paul's not saying that sex is a bad thing. He's saying it's a, it's a good thing to be celebrated and rejoiced. But here's the deal. It's unbelievably powerful. So God framed it up. So what that means is that he alone designed it. And anything of how he formed it that we try to take away from that, we're just misinforming and deforming what God has first formed. So when we seek the desires of our flesh as the culture has encouraged us to, we're really putting this at a higher place of walking in the spirit. We're just continuing to walk in the flesh. So out goes a love and a a true commitment and really comes physical desire that's all about gratifying self. And then you have false religion, false belief. And Paul lists idolatry and sorcery. And so here what you have ultimately is man's most blatant attempt to just be God, to be his own God, where he's really just saying, let me save myself, let me work this out for myself, and let me glorify myself. And so really this is setting something up as God in your life that is not God. So this is then trying through magic or through some other means to really emulate or copy the works of the Holy Spirit, but ultimately and continually, it's a work of the flesh. And so Paul says, these are the works of the flesh, sexuality, false religions, and false belief. And then he gets into the attitudes of the flesh, enmity and strife and jealousy. And enmity is ill will or hostility. So an attitude of hostility is really a mark of the flesh. And really, if you're hostile, then you're really prone to cause or exist in strife, where you are so consumed with a a type of jealousy or bitterness towards others. And so Paul's saying, here's some attitudes that if these are in you, you're really walking in the flesh. And so as he addresses these attitudes, then he also lists reactions of the flesh. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. I mean, this is always an interesting group of flesh issues to me. Because often what one person reacts to externally tends to point out to what is really going on internally. So this is why last week when we were talking about fear-based motivations, I said that if I sat down with you, you may not seem afraid, especially not of me, but some of you, if not all of you in some way, are fearful of being found out for who you really are and what you really struggle with. 
Now, you may not seem like that on the exterior, but it's going on in the interior. So on the outside, you may have these reactions of the flesh. And when we're led by the flesh, these things control us and they really run rampant in our lives where we hurt the people we love and we're driven by fear. And so then finally, Paul goes on and he lists addictions. He lists drunkenness and orgies and things like these. And when it says drunkenness and orgies, those two words in the Greek are actually tied together. So Paul makes no mistake when he puts the words down at the end of the list when he says also in things like these. So in the Greek, it's really that he's addressing anything you would give yourself fully to in the hopes that it brings fullness of life rather than Jesus Christ. So he's speaking of addictions here. Things that have an empty pull on our lives, but still lure us in with the hopes of fullness of life and even satisfaction in self. And so if you think about it, we can look at this with a lot of things. Things that at times can even seem good. I mean, I mean if we're honest, we can look at this with food. I think that's one we, we tend to avoid as a means of, or an explanation of addiction. We tend to look more towards the drugs and the illegal ar- arena, but we could do this with a lot of things. A lot of things can become an addiction. Food, wine, fitness, entertainment, our own possessions, and the whole desire that I need to get more stuff. But really, these things are empty, and they're against a life in the spirit, and our freedom in Christ. And so this is why at the end of this section, Paul is saying in verse one, with a warning, those who do these things or make a practice of doing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he poses a real warning because he's saying, listen, if you're going to walk in your flesh and just kind of use Jesus as a staple to your life, then you're not a true believer. You're not following the Father. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. And he's saying you can't choose both because they're against each other. But let me remind you that this is not... God's desire for us, that we would walk in this, that we would have this dualistic approach in our life. And so this is why he doesn't leave us to our own in our flesh. That although this is what life is like apart from the Holy Spirit, since we've now been set free in Christ and in our freedom, we can now walk in and seek the Spirit. And so we see this, that in our gospel freedom, we're to seek the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what's important to look at is that Paul does not give a plural language for fruit. It's singular. And and this may seem elementary, but I believe it's a really important detail. Because what this means is that there's no, "I I do good over here with this one, but not with this one. The fruit of the Spirit is holistic. It's not partial. And so the point of the text, the point of what the Holy Spirit of God does in us is a transformation that motivates us by love to walk in a holistic manner of the fruits of the Spirit. 
Not that we kind of look at one and go, I'm kind of good at this, but you know, that's just not really my thing. You know, being self-controlled, I just kind of struggle. That's not me. Paul is saying you do all or you do none. He's saying it's not the fruits. It's not a pluralistic view. It's a singular view because they go together. This is the fruit. And this is the evidence of life in the spirit and being guided by the spirit. And so as he uses this language of fruit, there are some important characteristics about fruit for us to think on. Some things that are important is that fruit isn't achieved by working, but is birthed out of abiding. That fruit is is fragile. It reproduces itself. It's attractive and it's nourishing. And so Paul is painting a picture for us here when we speak of this fruit, that he's helping us see that everything in this list reflects the character of God. So we shouldn't walk in the character of the flesh, in the ways of the flesh, but we would walk in the spirit that we would reflect the character of God. And so he lists these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when Martin Luther was commenting or commentating on this verse in verse 22, he said that it's fitting that love be the first mentioned because it encompasses all of the following. It may even be said that the following eight terms are describing what love and action looks like. And so he's really addressing that motivation there. And so as we look at that first one, love, the Greek word here for love is agape. And when we use words in the English language, we've gone over this over and over and over and over again. We just kind of tie all meanings to it. So for me, I could say that I love my wife and I could also say that I love my truck, but I don't love them both the same. And if you're wondering, I love my wife more, (laughs) just so we're clear. But when Paul is using this Greek word agape to say one of the first aspects is love, there's a different meaning than just this pluralistic nature of it. So agape describes a different kind of love than than we would typically just kind of throw out. It's a love that is more committed and sacrificial rather than this momentary feeling because it chooses to love the undeserving. And then Paul goes on to further describe the fruit. And so today, for the sake of our time, but briefly, I just want to look at each one of these. Because Paul's saying they're, they're not pluralistic. It's not, man, I, I'm loving, but, you know, I'm not a joyful person. That one's not for me. Paul's saying either you're walking in the flesh or you're walking in the fruit in a holistic way. And so the next one he lists is joy. And let me tell you, this is different than happiness because happiness is because of your circumstances where joy is in spite of your circumstances. It's regardless of your circumstances. And then he talks of peace. And the Greek word here for peace is chara. And it means not just freedom from trouble, but a calm to what is ahead. It's really that the believer who's filled with peace 
that trust in God of what's ahead, a peace no matter what. And then he speaks of patience. And this is really where we have long suffering. And all the parents in the room go, yeah, I know. (laughs) But this means we have grace towards those who wrong us. Where we allow slowness to those who need guidance. And we have an ability then to stand against offense that the enemy tries to throw at us. And let me tell you, oh Lord, do we need this in the Spirit's help. We need the Spirit's help in this one. And then he speaks of kindness and goodness. And I say these two together because in this language that Paul's writing in, they're closely connected. About the only difference from these two is that goodness also has with it the idea of generosity. But here, what's important for us to note about the word goodness is that Paul's not talking about just being a good person. So if you see a good person walking throughout life, Paul's not saying that person by being good by their own nature is walking in the spirit. No, he's referencing goodness as a virtue and holiness in action. And so it's deeper than we would take it. And then he says, faithfulness. And this is where through the moments and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years, we do not change or waver from our commitments or from our God. We press on towards him with his help. Now, let me tell you, especially uh, to my young peers in the room, this is the one I just wrestle with you the most because you are often not faithful, you are fickle. You pursue things based on how you feel rather than what the Holy Spirit calls you to. And so you act like you sometimes have these together, and I think this is true of all generations, but I think specifically in mine, we're far more concerned with how we feel than rather than be faithful to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, we need his help. And then also Paul mentions gentleness. And this is the idea of being teachable, not having a superior attitude and not demanding one's rights. That we would have a gentleness to us. Now, let me remind you in this, gentleness is not the same as being weak, okay? And so what that means when we talked last week about the difference of how Paul is addressing the believers as the sheep and he's addressing the wolves, he has a different response. And to the believers, he is being gentle with them, not impatient with them, just saying, why can't you just fix yourself? But he's coming to them as a patient, faithful, gentle father. But remember too, Paul is not timid when it comes to addressing the wolves. And so we need to not misuse misuse this part of the fruit of the spirit because often what we can try to do is kind of attach this to the idea of a godly man rightly being aggressive towards the wolves. And so what Paul is saying here is gentleness is the idea of you being teachable of you being humble, not where you're walking in some uh, spirit, personally like-minded weakness, but a gentleness 
then in the midst of your boldness, in the midst of your courage, in the midst of your own strength, you would walk gently with those of the faith when they don't believe, when they wrestle with belief, that you would walk gently with those around you. And then also Paul lists finally self-control. And what this means is, is not some form of legalism that we need to remove ourselves from everything, but what he's saying here is you may like food, but you're not a glutton. You, you may like a good beer, but you're not a drunkard. That you may work out and, and desire to be healthy and fit, but you haven't built your whole life around looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger because you're not controlled by the flesh. And so this is what Paul's getting after and saying that the fruit of the Spirit is being self-controlled, that your appetites and your desires don't rule you. Your love for the Lord rules you, and your pursuit of the Lord rules you, but your other practices don't rule you. And so Paul's aim in this text has really been to point us to the true purpose of our freedom and the true call of all believers who have been set free, where we're keeping in step with the Spirit. And so in verse 24, Paul says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, crucified is an important word. Paul could have simply just chosen the word killed. That those who belong to Christ Jesus have killed the flesh. But he uses the word crucified because it really speaks to some important things for the believer. That it really reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It reminds us that we're called to take up our own cross and follow after him. Remember, Paul said earlier in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a crucifixion, a crucifixion to flesh. And it also reminds us that the death of the flesh is often painful. And it reminds us that our flesh must be dealt with seriously that it's no easy and light manner for us to do this. But then in this, it causes us to ask the question, how do you crucify the flesh? So let me tell you, you turn your eyes and your whole self from your own passions and desires and you fix your eyes and look to Jesus. And in that, if you have struggles, struggles of lust, struggles of addiction, struggles of anger, then what you do is you build up a defense against those things while you continue to have faith in and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so really there's some work there for us to crucify the flesh as we look to Jesus. So really what Paul's saying is if you struggle with alcohol, you stay away from alcohol. And you stay away from the environments that lead you into that struggle. And if you wrestle with fits of anger and you're more prone to create divisions than you are to be motivated by love, then you get at the heart of the issue. You pursue repentance and confession. You begin to let go and really address what's going on in your flesh. 
And then also, if you have a, a porn problem, you put these things up that would remove you away from that. You begin to put filters and, and stuff on your devices that keep you from this. And, and really, if you're honest, you get around godly believers who are safe. Godly believers that would guide you in the right walk in the spirit. And so let me tell you, this isn't a type of legalism of let's do this, let's do that. This is wisdom. But that's not only the step we take. We don't just avoid these things. We also need to grow in the gospel. Where over time, we're looking more and more and more at Jesus. That he would remain our strength and that we would continue to walk in our freedom that motivates love and spirit living. That's how you crucify the flesh. And let me tell you, church, the culture we live in today is really difficult. Women, the image that the culture would have you walk in, no matter what age you are, is not the image that God would have you walk in. Men, the things that that the culture would have you satisfied in is not the things that God would have you be satisfied in. And so let me tell you, I, I know this to be a true issue. I mean, you can turn on a television, drive by a billboard, and still have this wrestling with the flesh of things that we see. And so this is where the believer constantly, moment by moment, with the truth of the gospel, looks to Jesus. Looks to Jesus and just says, Jesus, would you be ever before me? Because I know my sin is. This is how you crucify your flesh. And then in verse 25 and 26, Paul says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. And so what Paul is telling us here is that it's not enough to just claim to have a life in Christ by the power of the Spirit. He's saying that believers must continually follow after the Spirit in the way they live while also crucifying and and resisting the flesh. Where there's a preservation, there's a perseverance of the saints there. And so let me bring us back for a moment to the beautiful truth of verse one that we read earlier and that we focused on last week of chapter five. And Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And so this, here in this verse, this is where we stand in sonship rather than slavery. This is where we stand in freedom rather than in bondage. And this is where we stand in a life based in Christ rather than in death. And here's what I know to be true. Even as we read this verse and we see that we've been given freedom in Christ and called to stand firm, there are some of you that are still hung up on something. Whatever it is, still seeking your flesh rather than your heavenly father. And that's holding you back from freedom in Christ. And so what you're doing is you're really chasing after something that's completely counter to the finished work of Jesus. 
So this morning, if I can just encourage you, if I can urge you to put your faith not in yourself, but in Jesus Christ. Because time and time again, as Paul is proving with the works of the flesh, if you try to be your own God, it's not going to work out well for you. You were never made to be that. But God in his perfect love through Christ has given us freedom. That when we choose to believe upon Jesus Christ, then in him we are set free. We are set free by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul's saying, in your freedom then, walk in the Spirit. Given to you so that you could display and reflect the character of God. No longer walk in these things of the flesh, but walk in the Holy Spirit. And so as we close this morning, as I've been asking you questions throughout this series, I wanna encourage you as you get into your community groups and as you go throughout this week to really ask yourself, is your gospel freedom motivating you towards life in the spirit? Because Paul's made it clear, there's a group that is taking their gospel freedom and they're messing with the law. They're taking what God truly intended for us and using all of those things and more to just gratify the flesh and walk in the flesh. And so really, as we come to a close in this chapter, ask yourself, is your gospel freedom motivating you towards life in the spirit? Let's pray.